my belief is that if you uphold a certain standards in integrity, then you tend to attract that type of client, right? Clients who also have integrity and standards. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're tackling a very important topic, ethics and integrity in sales. Many that aren't in sales will probably wonder if such a thing exists. Those of us that are in the profession want to make sure that it is full of ethics and integrity. To help us talk, tackle the topic today, we have with us Faiz Al-Shahab. He's Managing Director of eCentral. Thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. So we start every show with Stan. We were talking about this before we jumped on, but just kind of a standard question to get help people get to know you a little bit better. If you have a hobby or something you're passionate about that the people that you work with or engage with on a daily basis might be surprised to learn about, would love to know what that passion or that hobby is. Mm, okay. Um, well, as, as my everyday stuff that I do um, is completely different to what I like. Um, I like to, I, I like to, uh, fix cars, to be honest. Um, I like to ponder around with, uh, the mechanics of the engine and stuff like that. Although I don't think I'm very good at it. Um, <laughs> I've got a lot to learn on it, but you know, I'm willing to get my hands dirty uh, now and then. Um, and, and is that, is it, is there a certain type of car you're into or just cars in general? Uh, well, uh, well, pretty much whatever that I can afford, to. <laughs> <laughs> wow. you know? Um, but, uh, the idea behind it is that you get this uh, different kind of satisfaction when you yourself look after the machine rather than if you just send it down to a shop and somebody else does the, the cleaning and the servicing for you, you tend to be, have a better bond with the car if you do it yourself. So uh, on that basis, I think it works with uh, any type of machine, I suppose. Well, and I think that's a, it's a great passion, especially for those of us that are in technology or amplify technology, right? And through what we do, I, I'm very much the same, yeah. very much the same way. For me, it's like, if I can get out of the studio or I can get away from the computer, uh, and I can work on my motorcycle or be on the back of the bike or be just away from the tech, it gives me a much deeper sense of connectedness than anything yeah. digital world is providing right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, my background is mechanical engineering, to be honest. So whatever I do today is completely off tangent. Um, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, I, you know, I deal with uh, 14 programmers in the office. I can't program myself. The only thing that I can program is probably my microwave, you know, <laughs> at home. So, um, yeah. <laughs> And so, well, so, all right, so let's make that transition. So let's talk about eCentral. So help us understand what it is, help our audience understand what it is, and how do you go from mechanical engineering to this thing called eCentral? So I'll, yeah. I'll just let you explain it and kind of walk us through that story. Okay. Um, you know, in a nutshell, it's an ebook store, right? Um, so uh, how it all began was when I came back to Malaysia from Europe uh, many years back, I got involved with publishing. Right, by default. So after doing print and the conventional publishing for quite some time, 
that came about Amazon Kindle, if you know, and if you notice in 2007, 2008, right? That was a big deal in, in the US. We kind of studied that and had a look at it. And it, at that time, it was kind of fashionable to have these so-called Me Too type of uh, technology, you know? But the, the actual problem that uh, we were we were seeing in this part of the world was that um, there was no technology to help bridge the local publishers in into something like this, into ebook um, ecosystem. So that's where we, we took the opportunity to build um, what we call the, the encryption engine, which resulted to a really sturdy digital rights management back then. Uh, and that allowed a lot of the publishers, the local publishers, to come into the ebook industry. So that's where eCentral started growing. We started off with 67 titles back in 2012. Now we host about 280,000 ebooks. And are, the, are the majority of them local? Are there, or have there have others? Mm, uh, you know, we've got titles? yeah, we've, yeah, we've got a lot, about 20,000 titles which are local, which we work closely with the publishers to to digitize them, to make them into the format that we need to support on, on, on our, our platform. Excellent. Excellent. So, and, and so I got to know, I mean, mechanical engineering to software. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there are, there are hey, easier don't, paths, my friend, easier path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like I'm digging my, myself a deep hole every time. <laughs> <laughs> And so what was the, just out of curiosity, what was the thing that sparked the passion for the publishing industry? Was that something you had done uh, when you were in Europe or was it just something that you were passionate about or just saw an opportunity? Uh, no, not really. Um, well, <laughs> the thing was that um, after I graduated, I, I was in the automotive industry for like six years. And, you know, being in the automotive industry, in the manufacturing line, being in a schedule so tight that you're chasing after parts after parts every day. When I came back to, to Malaysia, this was in Europe, by the way, yeah? when I came back to Malaysia, I decided that I wanted to get away from all that. So I was looking around for other opportunities and there weren't much because I was very gobby and stuff like that, you know, and <laughs> people didn't like that in, in the corporate world. So it ended up that um, I kind of worked for my mom who was an author. So she, she, was publishing her work with, with another publisher in Malaysia at the time. And then she decided to go by herself. And that's where I came in. And I'm like, uh, I don't know anything about this, but I'll give it a go. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's how it started. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about publishing. I just know that I wanted to do something else rather than manufacturing. And, and that's how I got involved in it, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So let's jump into the topic of day, ethic, ethics and integrity in sales. You know, as I said, kind of in the intro, there's some people out there who aren't in the profession that would wonder if there is any, uh, because they buy into the cliche, <laughs> right? They buy into that cliche salesman. I, having started my career in marketing and then moved into sales, believe that there's actually a great deal or should be a great deal of ethics and integrity in sales and that those that employ it are obviously the most uh, successful because at the end of the day, people buy from people. But what, what was it about this particular topic that made it be something you wanted to focus on today? Well, um, it's like this. Uh, I always, well, I was brought up at least to believe that, you know, if you work hard, if you studied and all that sort of stuff, that, um, uh, success would come to you. Right? <laughs> and I was naive enough to believe in all of that. Uh, but, um, I think being in the, um, commerce world, in Southeast Asia for the last 
eight or nine years, right? I've, I've really opened up my eyes to a lot of things. So it's not really just straightforward as having the best product or having the best pitch and so forth. So, you know, I do come across a lot of issues and, and frustration over uh, being, you know, um, how to say, um, defeated by your, your competitors and stuff like that because of all the other stuff that, that, that takes place, which is in the, the so-called, in, in not, not in the official world, right? So when you look at all of that, then you start to question, like, you know, when you do things in your everyday work, you want things to be right. You want things to, to you, or at least you want your client to be in the know or on the same page as you. But then when you look around you, it doesn't seem to be that way. Like a lot of the clients don't really care about what they buy, especially if, they, if it's not their entity, if it's not their own business, right? So they just want to buy things that they think they should have or that they think that the salesperson think they should have, right? And uh, get on from there. So ending up government sectors and even the bigger or the larger private sectors in this part of the world, at least, buy things which they don't really even need or they don't even understand. And it's just uh, on, on the basis of perhaps uh, lack of integrity or lack of care for their work and uh, on both sides, basically, you know. But we can't really talk about uh, on the government or the, the corporate side. We can only talk about us as people who go out there and, and, and try to make sales. Right. Well, I mean, that's a great point, right? There's there's a, a contextual reality that we live in, right? And, and it's different region to region. Uh, I've spent some time in Malaysia. I understand a little bit about what you're, you know, what you're pointing at. The challenge, I think, is the sales reps, those salespeople out there that don't have the integrity to say, you know what, this, what I'm selling is not a fit. It's not, it's not a fit for what you need and or or your entity. So to have the strength of character to say to someone, you may think you want this, but I think you're not understanding what it is you're buying, right? Like the outcome that you're looking for is not going to be obtained with what I'm particularly offering. Whereas most salespeople just be like, oh, you want to write me a check? Uh, oh, okay. Here, I'll take your money. And I think there's yeah. a level of integrity, <laughs> right? I mean, it, that's part of the cliche. I mean, it's part of the cliche we fight globally in this profession, but I mean, we're still fighting it in the, in the US. I, I've, train a lot of salespeople and I've seen a lot of them that are just like, Oh no, they wanted it. So I was going to sell it to them. Well, should yeah. you slow down and ask, are you really solving a problem with the right thing rather than just, uh, you know, passing back and forth dollars? Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, okay. If I could just add a bit onto that. Um, sure. I always looked at a customer and a supplier relationship as a partnership, right? It has to be. Because the supplier needs to understand what the customer needs, and the customer then would need to understand what the supplier can can provide, and that partnership will ensure that you you come up with a really good product or at least a really good service. But when you see that um, in this part of the world, at least customer and supplier relationship is like master and, and a slave type of you know <laughs> rapport, right? Right. So so because look, whatever I say must go. And because whatever I say is right, then the customer part or the supplier's part is always trying to overpromise or trying to say that, look, okay, I'll, I'll just do whatever that you want, right? And at the end of it, you know, again, we have to question ourselves, look, where does integrity come in all of this? So this is actually where when there's lack of, you know, ethics and stuff like that, 
then you're going to get into this this sort of relationship whereby whatever that the customer or the client says is correct is right. I mean, we're not talking about B two C sales here, you know. B two C sales is different, right? It's like, look, if if I bought something, if I bought an ebook and this ebook doesn't work, then I've got the rights to 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 request for whatever conversation or replacement. But when we're talking about solving uh, problems for the B two B, it's a different ball game altogether. And and time and time again, you just see them, you know, promising the world or selling a dream. And this is not not right in, in many aspects, you know. Well, and it compromise. I mean, it can compromise the relationship long term, right? Yeah, I mean, that's I, right. It can totally undermine the relationship so that you don't have any way to stabilize as a B two B entity. You don't have any way to stabilize revenue because you don't have relationships and proven outcomes that you can rely on because it was based on a dream. Absolutely. What what I find is that, um, I, well. You know, like I said before, I, w- I was quite naive. So I thought that, right, if you are reliable, if you uh, carry a certain standards, right, that you would uh, create a credible brand uh, that people would always like, okay, this this company is, is trustworthy. You know, they will keep to their words and stuff like that. But it doesn't tend to be the case here. Like the case here, every time when, when, when you do something right, you're probably going to lose out or, you know, um, in a tender, perhaps, right? If you give in all the correct documentation, it doesn't really promise you anything in that. But that's a different problem altogether. But what I'm trying to say is that a lot of companies then, when they started off doing the right things, started to do the wrong things later because they think that doing the right things or having integrity and ethics doesn't pay off. You know? So these are the challenges that we face. So you get more and more companies that get involved with all this dodgy stuff because they feel that um, having integrity doesn't pay off. Well, and it's it's more so you know I I can see why people like to me it feels almost more U.S. right like in the U.S. one of the things I've noticed about businesses is we're focused most entities are focused on the quarter right they're fo- I got to hit my number this quarter I got to hit my number this quarter now when I Correct. started doing business in APAC I was surprised. I mean, we're going back. I don't want to. I don't want to say that I'm <laughs> old. But I'm saying I come from a time where phones yeah. had cords. Um, <laughs> we get the picture. <laughs> but when I started doing business in APAC, what astounded me, what was an, a, so eye-opening for me, was that some of the companies that we dealt with didn't think about quarters. They thought of generational timelines, and that provides a different, total different context. Even if it's not generational, even if we're talking two, three years out. There's a longer time horizon. So in the U.S., I, I can, can see where that, you know, cutting corners, let's say, to do, to do mm-hmm. things that may be dodgy or, or, or may not mm-hmm. be, you know, kind of above, above board. I'm, I'm a little surprised to hear that it's so prevalent in, in the Malaysian market though. Is it, mm-hmm. you think it's cultural or do you think it's just, is it, <laughs> I hate to say this, but is it, is it the U.S.? Focus on the bottom line bleeding across the globe. I don't want to take mm-hmm. full credit. For, I don't want to yeah. for that, but <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, I I think it's the belief that yeah, you're you're right. If we're chasing after the matrix, then it means that we're not going to be able to hit our sales every time, right? So when we, um, uh, you know, it, the, the belief is that if we do things the correct way, then the process cycle becomes slower. Okay, meaning that you know uh, you've got a longer time to wait. You've got more uh, meetings to go through, or more levels to be approved through before you can make the sales, right? 
But the truth is that if you're doing it the right way, this is the right speed, actually, right, for the environment that you are in. Because sure. if they are, yeah, if, if, if culturally things are slow or if, if things don't move quickly, how can you move, right? You have to move in that pace. So um, to speed things up, people do dodgy things. So this is where it, it becomes a bit, um, you know, um, how would I say this? It, it becomes unfair for the level, level playing field, right? Right. So uh, I'm not just saying that it's here. It's, it, I would believe that these sort of things happen everywhere in, in the world, I would assume. But um, oh, I'd know, agree with you wholeheartedly. I would agree, yeah, one hundred percent. This is not, yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean to say it was focused in, in APAC. It's totally. Yeah. I've seen salespeople do stuff that I'm like, you know what? That I know you just beat me, and I'm, yeah. I'm pissed that you beat me. Like I'm upset, but I know I'm going to get that business because you did stuff that is going to. It may delay my sales cycle twelve months or two years or whatever, but I know I'm going to end up doing business with that customer because you did not do, you did not follow a code of conduct and establish a sense of your trustworthiness because I know some of the things you told them are not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, for me, it's quite simple. Like in this sort of terrain where you, you are uh, against, uh, you know, corruption and stuff like that. Uh, and it's going to be a tough climate for you to do business if you've got ethics, but my belief is that if you uphold a certain standards in integrity, then you tend to attract that type of client, right? Clients who also have integrity and standards. So these sort of clients are more valuable, right? Than the, the, the one hit wonders or the ones that can give you um, a, a more handsome revenue because the ones that have got standards and have got integrity, they tend to, uh, be on time with invoice payments. They don't make you beg and plead for your, you know, for your payments and stuff like that. So it is a so-called an easier process. But the only problem is that no matter how tough the landscape is, you as a company, you have to go out there and work really hard to find these sort of companies or to find these sort of people that are willing to work with you or that are looking for suppliers with with um, uh, any form of integrity or, or ethics, you know. So you've got a lot more ground to cover, and which takes a lot more time and a lot more hours and uh, a lot more patience, uh, you know, threshold. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt. Well, and it, I mean, it, it also creates, I would think it would create, you know, management challenges, you know, for you, as you're growing essential, like how do you, you know, you have to hire a certain type of person, a certain type of salesperson that, that understands and, and aligns with that view on integrity and ethics and understands that the growth trajectory will, will probably most likely be more consistent than somebody who's doing dodgy stuff, at least over the long term. Mm-hmm. But how do you attract and manage internally to drive that focus on, you know, acting with integrity and applying ethics? How, how does that change the way, you know, you look for individuals to add to the team as you grow essential? Mm. Well, I, I'm going to get into trouble for saying this live on air, but <laughs> I'll, I'll go. I'll go with it anyway. The truth is that if we recruit a salesperson, a sales manager, right, or, or an executive whom have already got abundance of experience in sales and, and, and marketing in this part of the world, they're going to be carrying a lot of baggage. They're going to be, you know, uh, inheriting. <laughs> and there's a lot of legacy, uh, right? Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so uh, what we normally do is we try to uh, train up a freshman, somebody that just came out from university or college, right? Uh, clean slate, not yet, you know, still still a virgin, I would say, right? <laughs> I can say that. And, yeah. and we train them up that way. That's a lot more, uh, how would I say, realistic, even though it requires you a lot more patience because they're not going to be as fast, there's so much that they need to do uh, and understand, and they, they lack confidence, obviously, right? When you sure. deal with freshmen, yeah, they lack confidence. So for the confidence of you to kick in, it'll take a bit of time. But at the very least, you you won't get into you know that sort of a, a potential mess. I would say. Now, right. I've, I've had experience of recruiting people with the sales background, yeah, and um, the the problem that we face is that we tend to overpromise, and then. And, and they're very good at finding new opportunities. So they will try to open up the pipeline for a few projects and even close a few, right? And, and then they will uh, leave for another company. And when we come in and dig up into the projects, a lot of things are over, overpromise, meaning that, oh, the programmers are going to scream because there is something that they, they're going to take ages to do. And this is, you know, the timeline is like you know, something that requires three months to do has been given a three weeks timeline. I mean, everybody's <laughs> not going to be very happy, right? Right. Yeah. So, so these are the sort of things that I think um, we want to avoid as, as a, as a company or as a union. Well, uh, and there's a difference between yeah. good business and bad business, right? There is such yeah. a thing as good business and bad business. It's a concept. Honestly, I think more people should, should just realize, right? So uh, in my past, when I go back and, you know, when I was running sales teams, we would do, we would do profitability analysis on some of our accounts and some of the accounts that everybody in the organization would tell you that's an account we can't under any circumstances lose or whatever. It turns Mm -hmm. out we weren't making anywhere near the kind of margin that we were on like all of these others. And it's because there is a difference unless you train them up the way you're doing, which I think is a very wise approach. There's a difference between sales and execution, right? We have a saying in the U S there's a massive difference between what is sold and what is reality. Um, yep. and so by doing it that way, I think you could, you are in greater control of your own destiny. I think it also would think, correct me if I'm wrong, but would allow you to drive the right type of culture for East central overall, not just in the sales organization. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, that's very important. We want to go back with a conscience, right, and sleep at night. And I think this is very important. I mean, we're one of these companies that uh, don't really uh, force people to work uh, until late hours at night and stuff like that because we feel that, look, you've got to go back. You've got to have your social life and stuff right. like that. So with regards to what you do in business as well, it has to be aligned with that so that, uh, like I said, you know, good culture in sales, good culture in programming, whatnot, will attract the right sort of people. And this is something that is happening to us like uh, over time, even though it takes a bit of time for you to, to gel up as a team. But once it's done, it's really robust. And you know that, okay, you know, I can, you know, go off and do things. And I know that the team will take care of it because, and I know that they are, they're really trustworthy and I know that they will do things uh, according to what was planned. And what's more important is that people have common sense in making decisions <laughs> and not just yep. just blatantly following the standard operating procedures, you know? I mean, standard operating procedures for me are just guidance, right? If you really don't know what to do, then you can look back at that and, and see through it. But 
in my part of the world at least, standard operating procedures have become this uh, the holy grail. Like you can't really go against it, otherwise somebody's going to get fired. But even though it doesn't make sense, even though at that particular circumstances it doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> so you'd have to have common sense. So in order to do that, you need to have a conscience. You, your your team, your employees, your colleagues, and all that will need to be trained to have a conscience. And uh, I know it's not uh, a week or two process, it's years, right? But in order to, to get that, then that's where you, you can have a team that can make a decision that's best fit for that particular occasion or circumstances. Yeah, it's an amazing, it's an amazing approach and one that uh, I think you articulate very nicely and concisely for people. It is, I think, at the heart of what should be the heart of what's going to define business as we move forward. We get away from some of this. We, in the U.S., we call it fly by night or, or, um, you know, people that are just doing crappy stuff. Like we, who wants to yeah. work with those types of people? Who wants to be part of those, <laughs> the, those company, right? Yeah. It's like a quick fix. It's like a, it's like somebody who's a, an alcoholic. They got a drug addiction. Like, all right, you got your quick fix. You got your, you checked your box, but you're going to pay for it down the line. And I think yeah. it's incumbent on, on people like yourself, uh, to build these companies and, and have that inject that integrity and, and that ethics into the, the very fabric of it. So I'm very, uh, I'm very excited to hear the approach that you're taking. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to rem- remember as well that with every highs that you have, there's going to be a downer, you know? So with all these companies that um, sell a dream, but, you know, it's merely just a dream. There's no substance behind it. And right. we see that again and again here with, with the, in, the, in the tech sphere as well, right? Like, you know... Um, it's absolutely crazy to hear some of these ideas and you're like, what? This is so obvious. And they make it sound so complicated. Like, you know, they put so much icing in it, right? And and again, you don't see these companies roaming around like six months later, they just completely disappear. So at the end of the day, what are we selling, right? Are we selling things that can really help the society? Or are we just selling something uh, is going to be, you know, uh, a touch and go, what we call it here in Malaysia, touch and go. And you get away with it and you go into another field and you do the same again and again. And after a while, people will, will start to know that you, you're somebody that can't be trust, trustworthy. And I think outside of business, you even see that frustration in the business community, in the SMEs in Malaysia, for example, with regards to this, that it's so-called... Uh, snowballed into right. uh, yeah into the election. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but in, in in Malaysia last year, we decided to change the old government, the old regime, and part of it is to do with with the fact that um, in in the business sphere, things weren't working accordingly. The wrong type of people are getting into controls of of the government big companies and stuff like that. So as a whole, people do reject this. You know, your, your, uh, your mind and your conscience can't take in so much of this, even if you want it to be, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there is a threshold. We yeah. all, there's only so much people can take. Excellent. Sure. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. The first yeah. is the, as a co-founder, as, as a managing director for East Central, that makes you a 
uh, prospect for other people looking to sell things. And so I'm always interested to find out when somebody doesn't have a relationship with you, maybe there's not somebody that can introduce them into you. What have you found to be most effective, uh, the ways that are most effective for people who want to talk to you about potential things they think might solve problems that you have of getting in front of you and earning the right to, you know, secure 15 minutes on the, on the calendar? What works the best in capturing your attention and, and capturing that time? Well, um, for me, normally, I'm, I'm, I'm quite liberal in this sense. I, if somebody's been bugging me for quite some time, right, <laughs> I will normally give them a chance, right? Because I, I, would, I would say that, you know, it's, if, if you haven't listened to them, then you don't know what they're talking about. So let's just listen anyway. If it's something that's not appealing for you, then it's okay. You know, no hard feelings, farewell, and then that's it. But I would say that what attracts me to somebody trying to, who's trying to pitch to me or sell to me would be the, the approach would normally be that they will ask me questions about the, the things that I go through as a business unit and what are the problems that we're facing. And from there, they'll come in with, ah, okay, this is where we can come in and we can help you out. And this is the solution that we can provide. So I appreciate that because they try to so-called understand what are the, the qualms that you're going through and try to find the fit. It might not be, it might not be the best solution, right? It might not even work. But uh, at the very least, I would understand that sort of approach, right? Rather but they've shown you the respect. They've done the homework. They've shown you the respect of trying to figure out, you know, and trying to understand what position you're in. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so that's better than, let's just say, somebody coming in, coming in and saying, like, look, I've got this and we've got this many clients and this is the, the next best thing, you know, and you should do the same, right? And uh, that would be a very short conversation. <laughs> oh, all right, perfect. Um, last question we asked, we call it the acceleration yeah. insight. So um, yeah. if you could give sales or marketing or, or professional service consultants, people, if you could give people one piece of advice that if they listened to, you believe would help them be more successful in their careers, what would it be and why? I think it would be common sense. I always push for this, right? Because uh, let's say in, in any kind of field that we're in, be it sales, marketing and all that, you know, you will come with a lot of uh, issues, problems, clients, uh, potentials, whatnot. that comes in different sizes, different, uh, you know, volumes and stuff like that. And you need to decide everything with your logics, right? So this is where common sense really comes in. If you really use common sense, and which sometimes people don't have common sense, but the best thing, the, the best thing that you can do is sit back, right? Give it five minutes, think logically, and probably that will give you the best answer to, to the common sense that, that, that you might be lacking or whatnot. But if you do have common sense, it's, it's a lot easier, right? That would give you the so-called decision-making tools that would lead to less regrets, I would say. You know, and, yeah. Less <laughs> it regrets, might sound really perfect. <laughs> No, that's perfect. I mean, I think yeah. I, I am a huge, I'm a huge proponent. In fact, I, I tell some of our clients, look, you guys are paying us to teach you common sense. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm amazed you're paying us to be here. To me, this is all common sense, but that was perfect. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. So Vise, if people are interested in talking to you, connecting with you or learning more about East Central, where would you recommend they go first? Well, you can go to our, our website, which is e-central with an S, yeah, S-E-N-T-R-A-L.com, 
Or you can just uh, drop me an email, which is fies at e-central.com. Excellent. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure speaking to you too, Chad. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill. Write a review on iTunes. Uh, share with friends, family, and coworkers. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.